This is Off The Ball Breakfast. G-Mac on G-Mac. Oh, Jesus. Are you a tattoo kind of guy? Tattoos, uh, no tattoos. <laughs> the fact that I'm doing an impression beside Conor Murray here is ridiculous. Subscribe to the Off The Ball Breakfast podcast on the Off The Ball app now. Off The Ball Breakfast. Ireland's sports breakfast show. Time to turn our attention uh, to the World Cup final, of course, on uh, Sunday. Uh, it's Spain up against England. Delighted to say that we are joined on the line by football writer and broadcaster Barca correspondent for ESPN, uh, Sam Marsden, to talk about the game. Morning, Sam. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having Thank- me on. Uh- Thanks a million for coming on. Um, we want to give this game a bit of time to ruminate in and we've spoken a little bit about England during the week so it's a good chance to get our teeth into what's happening with Spain and there's a lot happening. Um, I'm not quite sure where to jump in here but they, they uh, Spain as a nation have never, which was I was kind of astonished to see that they'd never won a knockout game at a major, major tournament before this. Major issues obviously off the pitch over the last year, training, tactics, the players open letter to the federation, many of them stepped away, some went back in, three of them are going to play it seems maybe in the game on Sunday when you put all that in the mix Sam what's your um, synopsis of how they managed to get here yeah it's difficult to really really keep it succinct really because like you say there have been so many issues there have been so many off the pitch issues there have even been on the pitch issues at this World Cup obviously with the 4-0 defeat to Japan at which point it didn't look like they were a team that were, were going to make the the World Cup final like you say they've never won a major uh, knockout game at a major tournament before um, which was one of the reasons which led to sort of the off-field problems last last sort of September when everything kicked off with those 15 players, like you say, saying they wouldn't be selected until there were certain improvements. That spilled from the back of another early exit at the European Championships after previously exiting the World Cup early and also the Euros in, in 2017. And the feeling that this is a golden generation of players who with more, with more backing, with more support, with perhaps a better coaching setup, um, not necessarily a new coach. The players have always insisted that not necessarily they wanted the coach sacked, but that they wanted certain changes, they wanted certain improvements. Um, this was a team that was capable of doing what they have done done this year and going all the way to the final. But yeah, it's still, I don't know if remarkable is the word because there's so much quality in that team, but there's still an element of, wow, despite everything that's been going on, not just off the pitch in terms of the, the problems with the federation and and potentially the coach, but in terms of, you know, Alexia Pateas, the back-to-back Ballon d'Or winner missing the last season with an ACL. She's at the World Cup, but she's clearly not yet 100% fit. So it's not like they've got her at her best. Um, they're obviously without certain key players due to the 15, including defender Mappy Leon and, and Patrick Guajardo are probably two of the best players, or not probably are two of the best players in the world in their position. And yet here they are in the World Cup final just because they've got so much talent and so much depth in players like Aitana Bonmati. And we've seen at the tournament this, the emergence of the, the Barcelona forward, just 19, Salma Pararuelo. Yeah, like we're seeing all the, the, the uh, really overt stuff around the game on our screens about how this is manifesting. We saw obviously the handshake that was refused. We saw, you know, Vilda trying to uh, join his players in celebration after the Netherlands game, particularly, and that, you know, pictures going live about that very weird dynamic and the div- clear divisions between the player and the manager. Um, players obviously on the record saying that they had no uh, faith in him or his methods or his conduct What? how is it all manifesting itself Sam in your view and you were involved around the story at that time of course in, in reporting on that how is all that manifesting itself between the manager the staff the players when it comes to uh, meetings the meeting rooms the tactics the team selection the games how are you uh, seeing that manifest itself 
The truth is we don't really know 100%. We're relying on sort of hearsay and little bits and pieces from perhaps, you know, people close to the camp and whatnot. Um, in terms of the access we had while we were out in New Zealand with the team, you know, speaking to the coach, Jorge Vilda, he was very much, you know, if you wanted to speak about players that weren't there or the issues and whatnot, he was very much sort of just defending everything. You know, I want to talk about the 23 players I have here and events on the field, everything else is sort of, I don't know if he'd said in the past, but kind of like almost resolved or resolved now. Um, the players, obviously, there's there's sort of players in, in, in different camps. There are obviously three players in the squad that were part of the 15 um, and another three who supported the 15 in Alexia Puteas and Eni Paredes and, and Jenny Hermosa, but were never sort of officially sent the letter declaring themselves unavailable for selection, but did miss a few games for Spain before returning earlier this year. So if you speak to those guys, guys like Aitana Bonmartin, Mariona Caldente, they will speak about how it's been a difficult year, but they don't sort of go into sort of detail or they sort of won't comment on sort of how that manifests itself. Like you say, at the moment with the with the coach, Mariona did say, I think it was after the quarterfinal that, you know, all this last year will perhaps be worth it if they if they go to, I don't know what she said, if they get to the final or, or if they win the World Cup. Because obviously it has brought about some changes, which is in terms of, you know, improved sort of um, backroom staff, nutritionists, the travels improved in and around games, the quality of a position in, in friendlies have improved. There have been lots of sort of changes by the federation. They've also made a certain amount of money available for the players to to bring family and, and sort of that sort of side of their uh, sort of preparation and planning for the tournament over. So they've all got sort of their close family over, including sort of some of the players' kids and stuff in and around the camp, um, which was part of the agreement they reached with the Federation. But it's obviously not been deemed enough for some players who, who still didn't want to make themselves available for selection. Like I say, the most significant ones perhaps being Mappy Leon and Patrick Guajardo. So we're relying sort of on these videos to sort of give us clues. Like you say, after there was one before the tournament, there was like a presentation in Madrid of the squad and there was sort of, they brought Jorge Vilda onto the stage and they sort of, they focused on the fact that Alexia and some of the Barcelona players weren't really sort of clapping him when everyone else was and they were sort of just sort of ignoring the moment. And like you say, the most famous one after that Netherlands game. Um, and if you speak to people, they sort of, they don't really want to speak to it, <clears throat> even off the record, sort of giving quotes about the, they want to maintain the status quo, I guess, with Spain progressing in the tournament. And the only thing they will say is the players which I guess is telling, but the players are 100% united together. I mean, and that also has been an issue in the past, whether there were fractions between the players based on some some sending that letter, some not, the Real Madrid and Barcelona factions and whatnot. Um, but everyone insists that the players are 100% united, but no one goes as far as to sort of say whether that entails the coach. And we don't really know how that dynamic is working. And I always sort of have suspected that if Spain were to go out, a few things would come out or there would be, you know, sort of the usual sort of fallout after elimination. But obviously, as they've kept ticking off the rounds, it's become more sort of, not ignored, there are people in Spain that sort of say, let's focus on the players, this is not to do with Vilda, this is despite Vilda. There are others like the Federation President, Luis Rubiales, who's always backed Vilda and says, look, this is a world-class coach, he's been unfairly attacked. Um, but it's not a significant, people ask me, you know, what's the mood like in Spain, if this was England or America, perhaps there'd be more of a, an uprising against the coach or the Federation for certain issues. Um, but there hasn't been, been really, and the players, in fact, took a lot of criticism for sending that letter last, last year. Uh, Sam, how big a chance is there that Alexia Pateas doesn't actually start this game on Sunday? Like, aside from the nutmeg, I guess, in this semi final, not the best performance. And obviously, she struggled since that knee injury before last year. Um, and the way, as, as you mentioned, Pariello was playing, she has to nearly start at this stage. But is Pateas in, in risk of being the player that misses out? If you'd have asked me before the semi final, I'd have said there's no way she, she starts the, the final. Um, She's not played 90 minutes since she came back from an ACL. She played six times off the bench for Barca, but very, very sort of short cameos. She played off the bench in the first game here in, in New Zealand, and then she came on 
sorry, she started the second two, but she's never completed more than an hour in the game. After that Japan defeat, she was dropped, if you will, for the for the last 16 in the quarterfinal. And it was a surprise, if anything, that she actually came back into the team against Sweden. I think that the, like you say, Samuel Palawalelo, absolutely, you know, based on what she's done, she deserves to start. But I think Vilda will also be looking at it thinking, look at the effect she's had off the bench in these last two games. Um, and if you start her, do you perhaps do you perhaps lose that? I mean, there's the interesting side of her perhaps being, I mean, she can play anywhere across the front three, but obviously Lucy Bronze knows her well and she's spoken about that. That would be sort of another sort of challenge for Palawalelo against a, an experienced teammate, whether she would have the same impact from the start. She's had such a great impact off the bench, but I mean, they've got so many options as well because they've started without Alexia in the other games and they've not started Palawalelo as well, for example, in the quarterfinal when they can play Jenny Hermoso deeper and they can play other strikers like Esther Gonzalez or, or Alba Redonda. So, yeah, I think he might be tempted to stick with the same team and use use Salmar off the bench again. Um, but yeah, I mean, we just we don't really know really because he's changed the team quite a lot throughout this tournament. After the defeat to Japan, he made he made five changes for Switzerland, and then even despite beating Switzerland, despite beating the Netherlands, he did make changes for the following knockout round. So I think it'll be based on what he thinks is best for England and whether he thinks it's best to have Salmar off the bench as that impact player or or from the start. But yeah, I mean, Alexia. Not been sad because it's still very early in the in her recovery, but you would love to see her at the World Cup at her best. So it's been a little bit sort of, um, yeah, I guess sad is the word that we've not been able to see her at her best yet. So it would be nice if she could start and have an impact. You touched on this slightly earlier there, but just that they just going back to the previous topic in relation to the manager and the dynamic with the players, Sam. The that weird stuff that had cropped up around your reporting around that story to begin with, you know, in terms of the conduct, I suppose specifically the, you know, players had to keep their bedroom doors open at night, and he'd be have to be the one to switch the light off to make sure that they were going to bed on time. Uh, the surveillance, weird surveillance stuff about where they were going and what they were buying in the shops. Um, what you're saying is, and, and like I ask you that in the context of like, Vilda obviously. Has has this connection with Rubiales at the top of the uh, Spanish Federation. So, like, your sense of... I, I know um, Rubiales had something to say yesterday about, oh, we've forgotten about, was it the players that uh, had resented us or whatever the language that it, that he yeah. used was. But you're just... Is there, is there any sense at the minute of... Because I know you said earlier on, we'll wait and see when it's over what will be said at that time and you know clearly I suppose players aren't going to be speaking too much until that stage but any sense of that to begin with and then also like it, I don't have a sense that this is like a last hurrah for Villa that this uh, relationship could continue No no I don't think this <clears throat> I was speaking to the Spanish journalists about this this week about Villa and in terms of the, the Federation and Rubiales this is definitely not a last hurrah for Villa the only thing would be is if you know Spain well whatever happens if they win the World Cup especially but if they if they were to lose, the only way he would go is if perhaps it was on his terms and he was like, well, I've won the World Cup. But none of us have the impression that he would do that. He would really like to lead Spain into the Olympics and 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 win the Olympics as well. Um, he certainly feels that even if they win the World Cup, he has unfinished business. So no, it certainly doesn't feel like um, like a last hurrah. Um, yeah, and in terms of Fielder, like you say, I've no one has actually confirmed when I speak to sort of people around the players, those stories, like you say, about the bedroom and stuff, they limit themselves to saying that he was controlling, he was, has controlling elements off the pitch. And in terms of on the pitch, is that you know, especially after the Euros, I mean, the argument people in Spain may say, well, look, he's got them to a World Cup final now. But if you go back to last September when they just had another early exit, the suggestion from the players was, like you've said already, that they weren't tactically prepared. The training wasn't up to the levels they were used to with their clubs. The injury prevention stuff was nowhere near what they were used to with their clubs. And, you know, that's why we saw players like, I mean, I know ACL injuries are very common in, in the women's game. But that was when we'd seen Alexia obviously get injured in, in training before that tournament. Um, so little things like that and the fact that, you know, this was a guy who had been 
propelled into a job at the Federation on the back of very little coaching experience because his dad was working there and he sort of was assistant to his dad in the women's youth teams and then quickly, quickly ascended through the roles in terms of under 17 coach, under 19 coach very briefly. And then all of a sudden he was the the senior team coach in 2015 after the scandal with the with the last coach. And then the fact that with this generation of players who've had such great success for Barcelona, he's been unable to repl- replicate that with Spain. The idea was that this was a coach who was perhaps out of his de- out of his depth given how the, the the Spanish team have progressed and women's football has progressed. But obviously, you know, people will counter that argument now with how Spain have done, people who perhaps support Builder. And you also have to say he has made some good decisions in, in the knockout rounds in terms of the changes he's made and the use of Salma Paruelu. But yeah, there are issues that I don't think are ever going to truly go away. This has been a long time coming, Sam, hasn't it? Spain finally getting to the forefront of, of women's international football because for years we've looked at, at Barcelona in the club game and, and certainly leading the way in that respect. Um, but it has taken maybe, is it fair to say a little bit, longer than people would have expected given Barcelona's success. Yeah, I think and I think that's a lot of what the root of the frustration of the players last September was about when they spoke about look we're super ambitious players we've won Champions Leagues for Barcelona um because let's be honest, the spine of the team, even without some of these Barcelona players, goalkeeper Sandra Panos, Mapi Leon, Patsy Grajado, I think in the semi-final they still started. Was it seven Barcelona players? They've got Barcelona's backup goalkeeper in goal. They've got you know Barcelona's centre back paired with Barcelona's maybe third or fourth choice centre back. So despite the fact they've not got Barcelona's best players, they've still got Barcelona players um, um, stepping in. So yeah, the, the the foundations have been there for success for for a long time. Like you say, they've really dominated at youth level on a world and European level. I think they're back-to-back world champions at under-17 level. They've just won the under-20 World Cup. Um, yeah, so this has been been coming for, for a long time when you look at it like that. And that was the, like I say, that was perhaps the root of why the players were like, hang on a minute, why are we having all this success at youth level? Why have we got all these great players? Why are we having so much success at club level? And what's the what's the reason that's not translating into international football? And you're looking at the reasons from, you know, a lack of support of federation at certain times. Obviously, they're counting that now with the changes they have made and the investments they have made in in the women's game over the last few years, which is is improved, but perhaps not as much as they could have done. Um, and and then you're looking at the coaching staff, whether they've got some of the blame for why this hasn't happened sooner. Um, the England camp couldn't be uh, couldn't be much different. Could, uh, different could it? The um, I saw Sophie Downey in the Guardian opening her piece today with that famous Alan Hansen uh, quote: "You can't win anything with kids." And I know you mentioned uh, Salma earlier on. She might have something at some point during the game to say about that. But your expectation, finally, Sam, about what the way this game is going to go? Oh, you know what? I, I keep <laughs> you're torn, particularly of all people. You are torn. Yeah, well, my my daughter's especially torn because she was born she was born here in Spain. She's uh, her favourite players, obviously all the Barcelona. She, well, her favourite players, she says, are Alexia Puteas. Well, she's only five. Alexia Puteas, Aitana Bonmati, and and Lucy Bronze. So they're all up against each other in the final. But if she had to pick one, she'd pick Alexia and and Barca. So I think she's probably leaning towards Spain. I don't. I think it's. I mean, I've struggled to call most of these games in this tournament. I had Japan as the favourites after the last sixteen in the group stage. They just so impressed me. I don't know if it was just bias from being at a couple of games and being at that Spain game when they were so so clinical. They just looked like such a such a machine. I, I did have England as well at one stage. I wavered a little bit after the the Nigeria game. I just don't know. I think England. I think Spain have got more weaknesses. But I think if everything clicks for Spain, then they can probably do more damage. If that makes sense. So it's kind of hinges on there. If I had to go one way, I'd probably say maybe England will shade it. Yeah, they've sort of like gently eased their way into the tournament. As you say, at times looks as if the exit could be near. But um, it will will is your expectation it'll be a good game to watch in terms of like you know sometimes you see with finals um, you can get a bit of any, anything in terms of nerves and all sorts of aspects coming into it. 
So, yeah, I think it will be. I mean, they're two teams that both like to have the ball, aren't they? Um, I think Spain will obviously have more of the ball. The Spain-Sweden game had a great finish, but it was quite largely sort of disappointing to watch for the first yeah. 80 minutes. I don't think it will be like that because I think England carry sort of more of a threat on the break than than Sweden do. I think obviously Russo and Hemp have been been very good in this, well, especially in the knockout rounds. Um, so I think there's that threat which will make the game a little bit more more lively. I mean, you don't, I don't, I don't expect it to match the the excitement and drama of the, the men's final in Qatar, but I think it will be a good game. I think it'll be an interesting game tactically. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, enjoy it there. It sounds like it's going to be a bit of a seesaw for uh, for everybody involved over the course of the 90 minutes or maybe beyond. Sam Marsden, thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Off the ball, breakfast. Ireland's Sports Breakfast Show.